Welcome to episode 135 of the Headspace and Timing Podcast, a show that is dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around service member, veteran, and military family mental health. On today's show, I have a conversation with Dr. David Kieran, an author, professor, and historian. His book, Signature Wounds, The Untold Story of the Military's Mental Health Crisis, takes a broad look at the nuanced story of the United States Army's effort to understand and address mental health concerns as they relate to military service. This short episode highlights some of the topics that David and I cover. To hear the full episode, go to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash HST135. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. After David's introduction about himself and his background, I ask him what it was like for him to talk to service members about their experience when he doesn't have the frame of reference of military service himself. First, it was extremely illuminating, you know, that I, I'm I'm not a veteran uh, and certainly not a combat veteran. And so to have the chance to talk with them about their experiences was a tremendous learning opportunity for me. Also, one, I was really mindful of what I didn't know and who the expert was in this situation. You have to listen to veterans and ask them about their experience and engage with them about their experiences. And uh, over the years, I have been surprised when I've talked to veterans how often I'm the first person to ask them about their experience. Another thing that David identified was that there were two narratives that emerged out of the discussion about the psychological impact of combat. As I got into the research, what I realized was that there are multiple stories and multiple uh, strands of, of this larger story of the way mental health became a major issue for Americans to sort out and deal with over the course of these wars. So on the one hand, for people who were opposed to the Iraq war, the stories of veterans who were returning home with post-traumatic stress disorder, who were returning home with brain injury, who were returning home with a range of mental health issues that sometimes lead them to contemplate attempt or sometimes die by suicide becomes really powerful rhetoric for the anti-war factions in Congress and in the general public to say, look at what the, is happening to these men and women who are serving in this terrible war that the country never should have fought. And so that was one strand that you could follow through political rhetoric and through media coverage. But then at the same time, inside the military, there was a real awareness of these issues and a real attempt to, to address them and to, to, to find out through very rigorous and very sophisticated research, what were the mental health outcomes for service members who were deployed? What were the barriers to treatment? And what was necessary to prevent and treat mental health issues. And if you think about those two narratives that I just sketched out, they actually, you know, although they were happening simultaneously, they, they approached mental health from very different sides. One was these mental health conditions are indicators of how awful these wars are and are evidence for an anti-war position. On the other side, there was these are medical realities that are, in a sense, inevitable to some degree when you put people in a combat situation. And therefore, they are conditions that we as a military are uh, responsible for researching and treating and addressing. 
David's previous book, Forever Vietnam, took a look at the lasting impact that Vietnam had on American culture. When asked about the differences between the veterans he talked to from the Vietnam era and the global war on terror, he said that he did notice some particular differences. In Iraq and Afghanistan, you had people deploy multiple times. And this was something the military had never done before. They'd never cycled people. Deployment, home, deployment, home. And and some people, uh, like you, are are, are three-time deployers, and some people are five- and six-time deployers by the time the war is over. You know, one of the key issues that they had to confront was, well, what are the consequences of multiple deployments? What are the consequences of this cycling of deployment and dwell time that the military had never really thought about? How long can you deploy somebody for? There's reasons, and I can talk about them, why they go to the 15-month deployment that have to do actually with maintaining the force in a certain way. Maintaining the, the, it's a, it is, an, in a sense, an effort to maintain the well-being of, of the force. You know, how long does a person need to be home in between deployments in order to get back to their baseline mental health? And can you do that at a time when you're fighting two wars that are, that are very kinetic and you have a relatively small force that you're asking to do this? And so Vietnam, none of those things were really operative. And, and the other issue with the all-volunteer force is that now more and more service members have families and trying to think about family mental health and both the impact on a deployed service member's mental health when they have a family at home versus the mental health of the spouse or partner or children who are worrying about the deployed service member. These were relatively new things that the military hadn't had to think about in Vietnam. They, they were they were problems that had to be solved in the 21st century. Expanding more on the discussion of how a service member's family impacts their psychological well-being, David explains how his research identifies this as a significant difference between current conflicts and those in the past. When you are a service member with a family, and especially in these 21st century wars where the connectivity is so great, where you have cell phones and you have email and you have Skype, and the soldier in Iraq or Afghanistan is not completely disconnected from what's going on at home first, right? So uh, if your kid is struggling at school or your kid has a health problem or your partner or spouse is struggling because they are suddenly a single parent having to do all of the caregiving and run the household and all of these things, that's an additional stressor for that deployed service member, right? They're worrying about those issues. And at the same time, you have the people at home who, and I write about this in the book, are in, you know, the, the, the amount of anxiety and depression among military spouses and children goes up quite a bit during these wars because they're worried about their loved one's well-being, you know, and they're saying things like, well, every time the phone rings, this is going to be bad news. Every time I come home and I turn the corner, I'm hoping there isn't a government sedan parked in front of my house with a chaplain and casualty notification team. And to live through that experience of deployment constantly on edge is really hard for spouses, really hard for children. And then you add to that the, the multiple deployments where people are coming home and how do you get back into a marriage when you've been gone for 15 months and you know you're leaving again in nine, uh, nine more? If you go away and you have a first grader and you come back and they're a third grader, you know how do you connect with that child? There's a lot of additional stressors that go into the fact that we now have a, a, a force that is largely partnered has, has children and so on. And I, I think um, it's really important to take into consideration the stress and strain that is heightened on families as, as we pursue these lengthy wars. 
We then talked about how it seems that service members are able to hold things together while they're in the military, but things start to get challenging when the deployments stop and they're no longer focused on the mission at hand. It's often the case that when a service member is caught up in that kinetic cycle of deployment, training, uh, redeployment, they may not have time to think about their experiences and reflect on them. And it's really when things slow down and you have the opportunity to reflect that some of those issues that need to be addressed will come to the surface. You know, I think it's it's sometimes easy when you're just running all the time to, to push aside some of the problems. They find their way out in other ways, right? You, you know, anxiety uh, and depression do not just lay low. They'll come out and you'll be, people will be snapping at their wives or their husbands or whatever. Often it's not until people either get out of the service or they get to a, a place where they're not on that heavy deployment schedule, that that's when they really are going to step back and see, oh, there, there are some things I haven't worked through here for my deployment. Another thing that David identified in his research with the Army, which was the branch of military that he focused on, that there were often three different ways that deployments impacted service members. What the Army became really good at was saying to veterans, to soldiers, that it is inevitable when you go on a deployment that you will have a psychological response to it. That it is, it is impossible to come back from a deployment without having been changed by it in some way. And some changes are for the better. You know, some veterans talk about the intense camaraderie that they had and the, the sense of purpose that they had. And that then when they return home and they lose, they leave the service, well, I don't feel quite as connected anymore. I don't feel like whatever I do in my day job now has the same sense of purpose. And that can be a struggle and a stressor, but also that you can have some negative outcomes from your deployment that might need some treatment. And then in the middle, there are all these things that would be healthy adaptations to being in a combat environment that are not healthy adaptations when you are home, right? So, for example, being hypervigilant, hitting the deck when there's a loud noise is actually a really good adaptation in a combat environment, right? But at home, it isn't. Having emotional control and being able to kind of put your feelings aside and just not address something that's bothering you can be really useful in a combat environment because if you're in a unit where something bad has happened and you have to go out the next day, your survival depends on you being able to focus in that on that mission. But then when you come home and you can't relate to your family, that's an unhealthy adaptation. So I think that one of the, the key issues is not necessarily, you know, the fact that the wars are still going on, but how do you approach helping people understand that in the midst of these long wars, you're going to be in a variety of environments where a variety of psychological responses will happen. Some of them good, some of them bad, some of them good in this environment, not good in that environment, and learning to manage that and realize how to deal with them effectively so that you can return to that, not only that baseline mental health, but also kind of capitalize on the positive experiences of a deployment while dealing with the negative ones. And finally, when we talked about the very common feeling that I hear from many of the veterans I work with as a clinical mental health counselor, that we often want to go back to combat or go back in the military, where we knew what was what and we knew that we could handle it. Everybody had a shared set of experiences and a shared vocabulary for talking about them. I think that's really powerful for many veterans is this idea that they want to be around people who have shared their experience and feel as though many civilians uh, neither understand nor care to understand their experience. And, and so I, I absolutely understand where that desire to remain in the service or go back on another deployment comes from. So there you go, a short preview of the show. 
you want to find out more about Dr. Kieran, go to DaveKieran.com. This was only tip of the iceberg. If you want to hear the whole show, go to BetterMentalHealth.com forward slash HST135. Just a reminder that the guests and information on this show are for informational purposes only and not meant to be considered professional advice. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice so you don't miss another episode. Until then, remember veterans, you're not alone. Ever. Ever.